I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. It is a beautiful, sunny day in Seattle today, and I'm so glad. We've had a week of rain around here, and it makes it really dark and icky. And when it's like that, I am just not my best self. The weather is one of the things that can put a crack in it for me. My husband, Casey, however, is one of those freaks who is energized by the rain and gloomy weather, which I guess is a good thing. It balances out my Eeyore, as he calls it, and he usually makes his special beef stew. I am so delighted to share my conversation with you today with another special dad. Uh, Remember my episode with Daniel DeFabio? episode 15. If you haven't listened to it, circle back to this when you're done. Uh, This is his buddy and co-founder of Disorder, the Rare Disease Film Festival. It's really easy to see why these two were drawn together when they met at a rare disease function years ago. We are chatting a bit about life in quarantine and about his beautiful daughter, Tess, who also inspired him to do a podcast called Stronger Every Day, where he shares short stories about their day-to-day. Tess was born with a variant on her USP7 gene. I will leave a link in the show notes for you so you can go check it out. It's a great short episode podcast when you have like 10 minutes to fill. I love listening to his podcast and I love keeping up with Tess. He has a lot of really good insight and I've learned a lot through him sharing his experience. Here is my conversation with Bo Bigelow. Hey, Bo, how are you? I'm great, Effie. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you in person. I kind of feel like I already know you a little bit from <laughs> your podcast and just emailing back and forth for the last couple months. Same. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you are such a valuable resource in so many ways to those of us in the rare disease community. Can you give us a little background about yourself? Sure. My rare disease journey started uh, when our daughter Tess was born 10 years ago. Uh, We were living in the New York City area and uh, we had a a son, Dana, already who was three at the time Tess was born. And, you know, we didn't really know what was going on with Tess when she was born. We knew something was going on, but we couldn't really tell what it was. And uh, we're in the midst of, of moving up here to Maine where we live now. And the plan was to move up here and I'm a lawyer. So I was, I was working in New York city at a law firm there. And so the plan was to move to Maine for my wife's job. And then once we got up here, I figured I would start, you know, looking for a job here and work for a firm here in Maine. I took the Maine bar and, you know, you make all these plans and then things turn out a little bit different. So once we got here to Maine, we realized that something was definitely going on with Tess. And after years of looking, we, we found out she has a a very rare genetic disorder called USP7. And at the time we got her diagnosis and found out about other patients in the world, we knew that she was patient number eight in the world that they knew of so far at the time. And so my wife and I, starting then, we just decided to really try to do something to help Tess and uh, to help the other kids who have USP7. And so we created a a foundation with some other parents. and, And one of our big goals was to find more patients. And I'm happy to say we've been able to do that recently. We've been able to 
find more. We, we average about one or two every month. And so now we're up to, I think, 64 or 65. Oh, wow. I didn't see the update on that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's like, uh, it's, it's happening like faster than I can update stuff. You know, people are like, wow, yeah. 25. Awesome. And it's like, no, no, we're up in the sixties now. Like, woohoo, maybe someday, <laughs> maybe we'll have a hundred someday, you know, and it's just a, it's been a, a really interesting journey and just kind of a, a big pivot, you know, in, in my life, like go from working full time at this law firm, like in New York City, and then being at home with Tess for six years before she could start kindergarten. And now that she's in school, usually in school, not right now, but usually in school, you know, working, working on the foundation and, and uh, just other stuff about rare disease. It's kind of become my, my job or a few of my jobs, you know? Yeah, you have a few jobs. You're an attorney. I don't know if you specialize in IEP law. What do you, What is your law specialty? Well, that was another big change. So in New York City, I was doing consumer protection law mostly, and I didn't know anything about disability rights law. But once we moved here and I firsthand went to IEP meetings and started to see what the law was and what Tessa's rights are and what an IEP is, I got I got interested in that field just because we had to be. You know, you got to educate yourself and find out what's going on. And I was really happy to find a firm here in Portland that specializes in disability rights law. And the guy I work for is like just the the guru, basically like nationwide. He's been doing it for, I think over 25 years and just knows, knows everything. And so to work with him and learn from him and really learn about this field of law has been fascinating to say the wow. least. That's so valuable. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, super parent advocate. And you're the co-founder of the film festival with Daniel DeFabio. Yeah, yeah, Disorder. Yeah, we started that a couple of years ago, and I really enjoy doing that work, working with Daniel. It's been exciting, and we're on a bit of a hiatus right now because of all that's going on with coronavirus, but we're, we're really excited to keep doing it, just keep doing it in different places and meet more people and bring people aboard like you. You know, we were excited to have you be part of it this time, and hopefully we can still do that. Yeah, I was looking forward to New York in May, but just in November we'll have to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking I think forward so. to it. I think so. <laughs> so, how has it been for Tess and your family since the quarantine began? Does she miss school a lot? Is she missing therapy a lot? Yeah. Under normal circumstances, Tess loves school. She loves going to school. She loves everything about it. I bring her out to the bus stop most mornings, and when the bus pulls up, she knows exactly what that bus means and where it's going to take her, and she couldn't be more juiced to get in there every morning and start. And what we found in the last few years is when we get to the weekend, you know, she doesn't know that it's Saturday, and so she just thinks it's any other morning. So she gets up, and she's with us, and then we don't go to the bus, and we're in our house, and she's kind of annoyed. She's like, I, I don't know what you guys think is going on here, but I have work to do and I need to be somewhere. And she gets kind of annoyed with us. You know, we don't do the things here that she does at school and her friends aren't here. And so there's been times where she's exhibited some serious frustration about being out of school on weekends or, you know, over the summer, she has extended school year, but the last two weeks of the summer, there's no, actually the last month, I would say the last, like August, in August, basically there is no school for her. And so we've just seen that frustration before. And so when this quarantine happened, we expected we might see some of that. And it's it's, it's the strangest thing, but she seems to be okay with it for the moment. I think we're finding that a lot of the resources that her team from her school has shared with us make a big difference because we're able to carry over those things. You know, the songs that we play at 9 a.m. at school, well, we're playing those songs at 9 a.m. And like this activity, well, now we know how they do it at the school and we're not doing it our way, we're doing it their way. And she's able to have some kind of continuity there. And I think that's made a really big difference. That team has 
stepped up in a huge way and just sharing like videos and songs and ideas and just and, and a, at least one email every day a long email of like try this and this is what we're doing and just that that has made all the difference i would say Wow, that's so awesome. I actually haven't heard of any sort of implementation for any type of distance learning for the kids with disabilities. So I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like, um, I, I remember when this was all happening, uh, just seeing sort of the guidelines of what school districts have to do when it comes to IEPs. And I guess the, the big thing to keep in mind is just to look at what your district is doing for typical kids. So if they're not doing any remote learning, then your child with disabilities is not going to get any kind of remote learning options. But if they are doing some kind of remote stuff for your district's typical kids, then they're supposed to offer something for your child with disabilities as well, you know, in order to, in order to provide them with a free and appropriate public education. So luckily our district is doing a ton of remote stuff for our son. And so they've, they've really stepped it up when it comes to tests. Wow, that's awesome. Good for yeah. them. Yeah. How about the social part? Do you feel like the social aspect of school is just as important as other types of learning? Because I know for Ford, he tries harder. He, I don't know, everything about it seems so much more enriching to him when he's around other kids. Is Tess kind of the same way in that aspect? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's exciting to hear that about Ford. That's, that's, we see a lot of that same stuff with Tess. Like you, there were definitely years where she had some vision issues and some cognitive stuff that's, that led us to wonder, you know, does she even know who's in the room with her? Does she even care that anybody's around her? You know, can she feel things like friendship and love in a way that others can see? Because it, it's really hard to tell. She's very, sometimes uh, has been very sort of stoic and, and people come and go into the room and she doesn't pay them any notice whether they say her name or not. She just kind of keeps on keeping on with what she's doing. But in the last few years, she has really turned a corner when it comes to the social piece. And, and to answer your question, absolutely. That is like the reason that we think she's done so well at Falmouth is they focus a lot on that piece of it and on making sure that education, yeah, I mean, it's it's social. You're learning so much about how to be with other people and, and how to communicate with them and how to coexist with them in a classroom. And I, I do feel like even though she's doing really well right now here at our house, I, I know she's missing that piece of it in a big way. I think she's thinking about her friends and I think part of her is probably wondering, you know, when am I going to see them again and why aren't they here and, and that sort of thing. And I think, I think that's really hard. You know, I think that's one of the hardest things about this, this quarantine is I, I, we don't know when it's going to end. And so that social part kind of goes away. And so, you know, the best, the next best thing is, is kind of what the rest of us are doing is like video calls, right? Video conferencing and stuff like that. And it's, it's not like she can get on a zoom call with her friends from fourth grade, <laughs> but there's an ed tech that works with her every day. And she's been making video videos, like pretty long videos, actually, like four or five, six minutes of different songs. And they're things that she seems to be producing in her house. Nice. Uh, and she's putting clips in there to the extent she can. I don't know how much footage she really has lying around, but she's got some stuff from the school of like, you know, here's Tessa's classroom and here's, you know, sometimes she's able to to put a little snippet of like another kid in there so Tess can see them. And that's about the best we can do for her right now. And I think it's it's better than nothing, right? I mean, it's absolutely, it's great. absolutely. If Ford saw a picture of his classroom, which he does, I have a few photos and videos that the school has sent through their little app. Yeah, and Ford will just watch those videos over and over and over and laugh because it's yeah, it is. It's a special place for them. Yeah, oh, Ford's laugh. 
Anything that triggers that is a good thing. <laughs> oh my god, I it's love so it. funny. We've been we've been tying a balloon to his stroller recently for our walks. And yeah. I used to do it back in the day, but I just started doing it again and it is hilarious. I mean, he is just full blast the entire walk. Like it doesn't yes. stop. Yes. Uh, that's <sighs> great. That it's probably makes you take even more walks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, talking about friends, it just reminds me, I'll make sure to list your amazing podcast in our show notes, but the last few episodes that you did was like an inclusion series, I guess. Yes. Yeah. You were talking about friends at school with Tess and that she's currently wearing a friendship bracelet that someone at school made her. And I just uh, can't even tell you how much that story touched me. Yeah. It's really interesting for us to see each year how her classmates interact with her because there's enough people in her year that they have multiple classrooms. So every year you never know who's going to be in class with her. And now that she's in fourth grade, we're at the point where she's starting to have some people who like, oh yeah, I was in kindergarten with Tess or like, yeah, I remember her from first grade, but it's a different batch of kids year to year. And just seeing how they interact with her has been interesting. And I think you know, the thing that led us to think about inclusion and led me to do that series is that we want Tess to be, we want her to be included. And the things that indicated to us in prior years that she was being included were, were invitations, her getting invited to stuff, somebody having a birthday party and Tess getting an invitation in her backpack coming home from school. And, you know, even last year, she would still in third grade, she was getting these invites. And this year she hasn't gotten any and we just don't know if it's because people aren't doing stuff, which I don't think is the case. I think people no. are. And they, you know, why isn't she getting invited? And I, I don't want to say it's the school's problem and that they have to make her get invited to stuff. That isn't what this is about. But I, I think that if we're doing the inclusion thing right and we're not turning her into a mascot for the class or having people, you know, treat her like a baby or, oh, she's so cute and, you know, making her this kind of objectified person with disabilities, but re really seeing her as a full person and a social person, well, then she should get invited to things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. One of her teachers this year said, well, this is kind of around the time in fourth grade where you stop inviting the whole class to stuff. You know, you're not having your birthday party, your entire class at the pizza place. You're having like a couple of kids do stuff. And actually last year that was happening in third grade. She'd be one of you know, three, four, five kids invited to do stuff. So it's not that. So we just don't know what it is. And we were trying to find out. And it's hard because Tess is nonverbal. She, she can communicate with us. She has a few signs and she has a communication device. But Tess's big motivator, it sounds like it would be friends, but it's actually food. And so almost I all like her, her communication. Yeah, right? <laughs> she's, she's my kid, right? I love food too. <laughs> but that just seems to be the only communication that she can reliably do is about getting herself fed, you know, snack and then lunch and then snack and 11Zs. And there's like a million snacks all day, but she's not at the point with communication where she come home from school and say, you know, this happened today or my friend did this or anything. We're not, we're not getting that kind of info from her from a school day. And so it's just been a, a little bit of a challenging year in, in terms of that just wondering what is happening and how do they see her and and do they see her as a person and i think the friendship bracelet coming home on her wrist one day was just a, a really great sign to me that there's somebody out there who thinks of tess as her friend and you know maybe i'll never get to meet that kid but my wife went to chaperone on a school trip recently and she did get to meet that girl who made Tess the bracelet. So it's a thing, you know, there she's there and she's Tess is her friend and she's Tess's friend. And, you know, I think that's 
just something that means a lot to us. It's, it's such a small thing, right? Like other kids probably have like eight of them on their wrist, but like Tess has this one and it's, it's fraying and it's turning gray and it's probably really gross at this point, but we're not taking it off. That thing is staying on, you know? <laughs> we all had those dirty friendship bracelets, so it's not gross. <laughs> you keep <laughs> them on great. until they fall off. Totally. <laughs> it makes me, I mean, it, it really brings it back to the word inclusion, right? It's so much more than school. It's so much more than a playground. It's so much more than being able to go in and out of a restaurant. I mean, this still is a conversation that needs to be had at home and really implemented with parents talking to their kids and making sure they are including these other kids. And it's not like they don't want to at this age yet, right? Like there's no way fourth graders don't necessarily want someone like Tess at their birthday. But I think maybe the conversation just isn't as consistent as it needs to be still. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but they're missing out. I mean, they're missing yeah, out when for sure. they aren't surrounded by kids like Tess. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, let's circle back to the lockdown. What are some of Tess's health issues, her immunocompromised issues? Why is it so important for Tess to be staying home and for the entire family to be staying home? I think what it comes down to for Tess is we don't really know. I mean, we really are in the land of the unknown with USP7 because we just don't. I mean, it's such a it's so rare and so little is known about it that all we really know are just how it affects various systems, right? We know that she has a hard time with GI stuff. She has GI issues. And so she's she's on a, a Prevacid, a thing designed to, a, a drug designed to reduce acid reflux. So that's a problem for her already. So, and we know GI is part of this COVID-19. So how would Tess's GI system respond? We have no idea, but it's not going to be good. I can tell you that it's not going to improve things. So stuff like that. And then also to the extent that she ends up being congested and having some secretions, you know, mucus or whatever, it just develops respiratory problems like that. We just don't, we can't rely on her to, to cough things up and to deal with mucus the way the rest of us do. She just doesn't know how to do that. So we really don't want her to get sick. We want to do whatever we can to keep that from happening. Yeah, she sounds like she has a lot of the same symptoms that Ford does. Yeah, it's scary. Which I think a lot of our kids do. Um, yeah. Especially since so many of them start out with low tone. Yep. Yeah. Getting the cough out is real. We just got one of those cough assist machines and a, like a suction machine. Do you guys have anything like that for Tess? We don't have the cough assist. I'm definitely interested in hearing about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You, I mean, it, I just still don't know how to use it yet, but there's a bunch of levels. So it's a mask that you put over them. And when they start to take a breath in, it will like just completely like suck it or blow it. It like makes their lungs expand and then it takes the breath out. So it just kind of helps their lungs actually open fully, which is something that they don't really do ever, depending on the kid's level of hypotonia or whatever. So it kind of just helps, you know, get them, get them a deep breath. Wow. I mean, I'm sure it does a lot of other things. Ford has some respiratory issues too. So we're just learning about it and yeah. all of that. But you got the suction unit. Yep. We got all of that. So I'm really excited. We got it before this quarantine just in case. Yeah. Yeah. The suction thing is scary, right? I We've had to use it a couple of times and it's definitely, uh, it travels with us everywhere. Yep. We've got one and yeah, we use it. Yeah. I think the worst part about all of those things is like how much our kids hate it. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they fight you tooth and nail. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you're able to still work from home then? 
Yes. How are you doing that with the kids? How are you guys doing the school and both of you still keeping your jobs? Uh, not very easily. My wife's here, so she they canceled uh, elective procedures. So the only thing she'll really need to do is emergency stuff. So she's here at the house and, you know, trying to do some remotely just, you know, telemedicine kind of stuff. And so she's here and that enables me to do some work. And we just kind of take turns, you know, whoever has something to do, the other person just kind of makes it work. And, and then you trade off and you see each other at at bedtime and you're like, why am I so tired? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, I still want to watch a show, but I'm so right. tired. Wow, it's 8.15. Really? <laughs> I, I guess I am going to bed now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before quarantine, what have been like some of your outlets, like just as a dad to someone like Tess and, you know, having, an, having a typically developing children, having a marriage, having a pretty serious job and so on with your with your foundation with your film festival like what are some things you've done to kind of put a little circle around you yeah that's really important to do i love that the way you put that put a circle around you i i think it's really important especially if you're dealing with somebody who has significant disabilities and, and you're there a lot is asked of you kind of when you're on it's important to have stuff that has nothing to do with them that's just your thing and so exercise has been a really big one for for my wife and me we just you know it's kind of one it's a thing that's just yours and you can go do it and it's a, an outlet and all that but you know we kind of need to do it in order to stay in shape and like work with Tess and she's like 70 pounds so you're carrying her around sometimes and you know you got to stay in good shape so exercise is a big one but also just I, I think having stuff that's just for you you know like you know if you if you're interested in like whatever you're interested in like for me it's it's film like I I started the festival with Daniel but like I have a lot of goony foreign films and stuff that are subtitled and you know the Japanese samurai movie is not a huge seller for my 13 year old. He's like, subtitles, I'm out. Peace out. Oh like, my God. Casey would love that. You have to send it to us. It's awesome. Like I, I love that stuff, but nobody <laughs> else in my house cares about it. And I'm like, great, fine. This will be my thing over here. I'm going to watch this film and this is going to be just for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I think if we can all find stuff and I, and sometimes I think it's hard to even think of what that is. You're just like, what do I like? You know, I feel like there was a time, a, a bunch of years where like you're just putting out fires and just reeling from the diagnosis and appointments and doing all that stuff that you don't even know what you like anymore. There's the you before this all went down and then there's the you of today and and it takes you some time to discover or re rediscover, you know, what you love and that you got to do that though. That's crucial. Yeah, I think the exercise bit is super important. Yeah, even just obviously for your mental health. But like, we're gonna have to be lifting these kids helping these kids maneuver around. I mean, it, it's not easy, especially when a lot of them are kind of like dead weight. Yeah, yeah, you were talking about this in the, the episode recently about about Esme and sort of like, you know, we're gonna have to be around for a long time. And we don't want their siblings to have to be the person, you know, we want it to be us for as long as possible. Yeah. With your with your foundation and your website that you started, is it more about finding community or are you mostly like kind of looking for treatments slash cures? What's the goal with the foundation? Yeah, we're, we're much more in the in the second category there. It's, it's all about research for us um, and finding other patients is a, is a piece of that. Um, the more people we find, the more we'll know about 
the phenotype and about, you know, what symptoms are out there and how this presents. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of foundations that do the community thing and that, that is super important. I really am a big believer in that, but it's just not what we do. What we do is all about raising money to, to fund research and get to a cure. And, and we have a, we have a Facebook group, like a closed one for, for parents. And that's the piece that's, it's not about our foundation, but it's just you know, an online community that that's where that community piece comes in, but it's not something that the foundation does. So you're going to meet someone that uh, I'm friends with now named Jill eventually, but yeah, she's trying to find people who have the same genetic abnormality as her kids. What would you suggest to people like Jill who only have a teeny circle? You know, they're like one of eight like you. Should they cold email people? Should they get on Twitter? What should people do when they're like, actually on this teeny tiny rock less than a lot of us in the rare disease who maybe have a couple hundred or someone already started that foundation what do you suggest to someone who is seriously feeling completely alone in their diagnosis yeah that's a that's a really hard place to be and i I remember that feeling especially when you don't know you're one of eight but you think you're one of one yeah and so i i think you know what you said is is what you do you know you're going to get really comfortable about talking about the disease and you're going to just be as loud as possible in as many ways as you can find so getting on twitter is a great thing to do there's a method if you really are the only one that you know of in the world there's this method this guy came up with um he's a computer science guy named matt might and uh his method is how we found our our group when we thought Tess was the only one in the world he had this specific way to write a blog post because uh you know, when you don't know and you're just, you think you're the only one in the world, you Google stuff. That's what all these parents do, right? You just, you know, you know, you have hypotonia, right? You got low tone. So you Google like low tone and, you know, trying you're trying to match up all your symptoms. Totally. Yeah. And if, and if you're lucky enough that, you know, your gene, well, you throw that in the Google box and you just try to find stuff. And, uh, and so what this guy's method was, was writing a blog post that kind of be an internet beacon that other people would find when they Google stuff. And his method really worked. I mean, we followed it to the letter and and followed his blueprint and it got shared like 25,000 times or something like that nice. in 24 hours it just like went viral and I, I think some of it was you know you've got all these friends and family who for years are like what can we do how can we help you like what do you need can I give money to somewhere and and you're like no I got nothing you know we don't have a foundation yet yeah. I don't have anywhere you can donate to there's nothing you can really do unless you want to come over so I can work out for an hour there's yeah let me much, go shower <laughs> right I'm gonna go shower like have what we call in the parenting business as a moment's peace right but other than that you know it was years of that of pent up you know wanting to help from people and so once once i said hey yeah you want to help me share this thing for me and so people did and uh cool. and the next the next day we got our answer we got our diagnosis um the next day we had gotten tess's gene so we knew it was usp7 and uh and her genetics team was kind of like look we so little is known about this gene that we can't even tell you that this mutation is causing what you're seeing in tests. We just don't know. And we said, okay, well, you know, we're, we're both pretty type A, my wife and me. And we're like, all right, well, what's next? And they're like, no, you, you don't understand. There is no <laughs> what's next. This was it. Like you guys, good, good luck with everything kind of thing. And so for a long time, for a bunch of months, that's where we lived in this dark place where you're just in the cloud of unknowing. And so eventually, though, uh, I found out about Matt Might because there was a New Yorker article about him and how he how he found people and how he used the Internet to find more patients. So I followed his method and my wife and I took a deep breath and we're like, all right, maybe we'll never find anybody else, but maybe we'll find just one more person. And, and this is worth trying. And 
you know, we can always hope. So let's give it a go. So we, we post it, we tell everyone, share this thing. And 24 hours later, I get this email from a guy at Baylor College of Medicine who's saying, I work on this gene. I know of other patients. We should talk. And that afternoon we got on the phone with him and we found out there were seven other patients already. And Tess was patient eight. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I, you know, Matt, my method, it's out there. I mean, using, I think his, his post about how to make your blog post is called something like using the internet to dis discovering rare patients using the internet, something like that. I can, I can send you the link, but uh, that's a really good way if you're the only person, but if you're a small group and you're like, you know, five, six, seven patients in the world, something like that. And you really just, you know, there's others. I think there's a lot of value in being really vocal and getting out there because what people do is they get a diagnosis like, okay, well, we've got autism and they stop there and they think that, okay, my diagnosis, my diagnosis for this kid is, is autism. That's what this is. But autism might be only one piece of a much bigger picture. So, you know, there's, there's gotta be other people who have your thing and stopped at autism. And if they only knew they could jump in and join your, your crew. So I, I think making a film is a great move. You know, I'll show that I'll show the film at my festival. If you want to submit it. I mean, that's been a really effective way for people lately to find more people is just make a, make a film, throw it up on YouTube, get your friends to share it, put it on Facebook. I mean, the, the ease with which people can share your video right now is, is pretty awesome. I mean, you can go from zero to 25 K in, in a day or two without breaking a sweat. And then that person in, you know, eight states away from you who stopped at autism is like, wait a minute, the symptoms are what? We have all of those symptoms. Like, let me go back and talk to my geneticist and see if there's yeah. more testing we can do. And then, you know, they get their answer and they're in your group and that's what you do. Yeah. Cool. Oh, such good advice. And I'm so excited to hear about that blog thing. I'd never heard about that guy and that format. So very cool. Yeah. So how have your goals changed over the years after having Tess, like getting to know her, seeing how she's developing? Is your focus different in any way than it was maybe a few years ago when she was younger? That's a good question. You know, for a bunch of years now, it's been all about communication. I think um, for a long time, it was about getting her to walk. And we were focused pretty much on that. And you know, because she got to the point that most kids get to where you're like 11 months old and then you're a year old and then you're two and then you're three and you're not walking. So having her get to that point and not be walking, we're like, this is, this is the priority. We got to get her walking. And so we did all this stuff to try to get her to walk. There's a therapeutic horseback center near us. And we thought riding the horse would help. And it, and it did. And, you know, physical therapy was all about these moves when crawling, this leads to walking. We tried everything. I mean, these different massage things and reflex treatments and just everything was about getting her to walk. And then when she was five, she walked. And uh, it was this really long journey that involved, you know, equipment and AFOs and inserts and orthotics and all this stuff. And, and now she's walking and she can walk great. And we're five years down the road from that. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we shifted pretty dramatically after the walking and, and look towards communication because we know she wants to communicate. We know she gets frustrated when she can't. We see really good results when she can, when she's just nailing it. Like I want chips and she gets the chips and just her face is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, isn't that the best when they realize uh, that you understood what they wanted and needed and they got yeah, it? It's uh, like... Oh, frustration I love it every yeah, time. The frustration just falls away and she's just yeah. like, you see me and I see you. And like, it's just, so that's, I think that's been our priority for a few years now. And it's, I think, 
you know, you know how this is. You just got to, you, you got to think about it in terms of making progress and not compare and not think about what age you're at, but just like, what's the next thing? Well, okay. So now she can put a sentence together based on like preferred objects. Well, what if we throw in something that's not preferred, like, like a sock versus food? You know, it's no contest. Food wins every time. So, <laughs> so let's mix it up. Like, what if sock is in there? You know, sometimes she picks the sock and you're like, all right. So now that's the next thing is having her figure out like, all right, I don't want sock. I want food. And this means sock and this means food. And so now I need to pick the food every time. Just like that. Yeah. Step by step. Totally. Yeah, I think we're pretty good at kind of going in inch stones. But in the beginning, it's really overwhelming. Like, you know, you're constantly told you have to do all of this and all of this and everything yeah. matters so much and it's not realistic. Yeah. Bo, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? Any wisdom you want to leave for a newly diagnosed family or any other dads or male caregivers out there? There's a couple things. One is I, I think we need more dads. You know, yeah. I think I know they're out there and I know whenever I'm able to connect with another one, I'm always really happy. I feel like it's hard to talk about this stuff. And I think in general, like I, I was this way for a really long time. It took me a while to be able to talk about it, like way, way later than my wife. And I guess I found it empowering once I did start talking about it. And so I, I just feel like the more dads can get involved, the 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 better. I, I'm I'm always really happy to connect with dads. Another thing I think everybody needs to know is that this is a really small kind of world in a way. Um, you know, when you start talking about your disease and going to stuff, going to conferences, writing a blog, doing a podcast, you know, whatever whatever thing you're doing to work on your rare disease, once you start doing it, you start seeing the same people. You know, they're popping up, they're in your Twitter feed, and then they're at the conference you're at, and then you go to your next conference and there they are. And it's just, it's really great because nobody is like hiding their homework they're all like, hey, I already figured this thing you're working on. I've already figured it out. And here's my homework. I'm going to email you all our documents. Here they are. Like, no problem. Share them, like cut and paste your name into the space of our name and, and use whatever. Everybody is super just open and ready to get on the phone or, you know, meet up if they can or, or do whatever. People really want to help and they don't want to see you recreate stuff that they've already worked really hard to create and so they're willing to share so just ask you know start asking for stuff and and you'll be surprised what people are willing to do it's awesome yeah some of the most generous people i've met so far truly yeah a giant team definitely yeah well, maybe it's a small team <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's cool because it's you know it's people who don't have a lot of spare time yeah. at all they have so much less than most people and they're still <laughs> willing to give it to you they're like a half hour really and they're like i'm gonna give you an hour and you're like what you know it's it's awesome <laughs> it's great yes yes <laughs> uh i agree on the dad front i mean having a husband i definitely i mean i want it to be just as open for him as it is for me so yes yeah, on that yeah. so much i love the casey episode that's my favorite <laughs> Thank you. So I love that one too. Yeah, <laughs> I listened to it a few weeks ago again on the way to work and I was like, oh my God, this yeah. is such a good one. <laughs> it's great. I was like jumping up and down. I was like, yeah, dude. It was awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, you and Casey need to meet. Well, you will at the film festival. So. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Cool. All right. Cool. Thanks so much for sharing a little bit about your life and yeah. about tests and about all of the work you've done so far, Bo. I'm so excited and I'm definitely going to have you back again for a little IEP series later on. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for having me, Effie. I appreciate it. 
I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 